When I was probably 26, something radically happened. Um, I was reading a book. I was just coming back from a, this like little retreat in China uh, with a teacher I was following at the time, and I had decided to leave that teacher. So I'm on the plane back, and um, I open, it's a book called Talks by Ramana Maharshi. He was a Vedanta sage in uh, India. And I was reading through it, reading through it, and there was a line in the book that said, moksha, which means liberation or enlightenment. Moksha is to know that you were never born. I was like, what? I was like, what does that mean? I remember I just started sweating when I read those words. This guy's been dead for like decades, right? And I fall asleep, wake up, you know, I'm now back in Los Angeles, back in Santa Ana, going to work. And I was driving and suddenly I couldn't tell where my hand ended and where the steering wheel of my car began. Welcome to another episode of Awaken Now What. I'm your host, JR. And I'm your co-host, Helen. Awaken Now What is a podcast that helps to illuminate your spiritual awakening and ascension. That is correct. And today we have a very special episode. He's a meditation teacher, the host of the After Awakening podcast. Let's welcome Ryan J. Burton to the show. Welcome, Ryan. Welcome. (laughs) Thanks for having me, you two. Thank you. Absolutely. So for the listeners out there who don't know who you are, um, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I started my meditation practice formally probably when I was 17, so um, 13 years ago. Uh, I did a a 10-day Vipassana retreat, the silent meditation retreats wow. in the uh, Goenka tradition. And as soon as I turned 18, I signed up for it. And uh, yeah, it was a game changer. You know, I just didn't know that this side of life really uh, existed at all. You know, I grew up um, pretty secular and um, I'm half Asian. So even though I, I had my roots in uh, Thai Buddhism as a kid, there was never really uh, like a deep connection to it. I would just go to this Thai summer camp to, to learn Thai uh, when I was, you know, five, six, seven. And every morning they would make us like, bow before the Buddha statue and the teachers would just say, okay, now you're going to sit here and be quiet and not say anything. But no explanation of um, what Buddhism is or what meditation is. But yeah, the seed was definitely there um, via my culture and uh, my upbringing. But uh, when I was 17, 16, 17, my um, family life was pretty difficult. My my father had um, drug problems and my mom just really needed a refuge. She needed something to 
you know, some ground to, to stand on and land on. And that, that ground was really meditation and Buddhism for her. So she invited me on a, on a, a three day weekend retreat. And I went and did that. And first two days, I couldn't stop my mind at all or still my mind at all. And then on the third day, finally, you know, things got pretty quiet and uh, peaceful and profound. And that really set me up to do the Vipassana retreat probably a year later. But um, there was a specific moment, you know, there was a defining moment. And I think all of us have these moments in our lives where something happens and it's just so profound that it, it changes the trajectory and the direction of our lives completely. And uh, yeah, I was a big troublemaker in high school, big, <laughs> all kinds of problems, you know? Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I went on this, on this retreat and it was brutal. Vipassana retreats are absolutely brutal. I mean, now after you do your first one, it's okay, but your first Vipassana retreat is brutality in its purest form. Right. <laughs> You're so sitting was, for 10, 10 days. Yeah. 10 days oh. in silence. You don't say a word to anyone. No one looks at you. Like people don't even make eye contact. You know what I'm saying? Oh wow! Yeah, it's like very serious, and uh, you have to sign all these waivers in the beginning. Like they're not liable if anything happens to you, and you have to agree to like, you just have to agree to take it very seriously. And right. uh, yeah, so halfway through, maybe second or third day on the retreat, Goenka, you're learning from this teacher who passed away a long time ago, and you, you they play his video video course. And he tells you, okay, now everyone, uh, for the morning, noon, and evening sessions, where we all have to come and sit together in the hall, for one hour, don't move at all. Like, no movement. So your your legs are on fire, your knees feel like they're about to pop, your what? back is killing you, don't move. Just observe. And like, <laughs> it's, like it's great. So the, first, so the first time you give this instruction, you know, the next session... It's like 45 minutes in and you've already been sitting for a couple of days. So you're already sore. And then, you know, you're sitting there and it, and it hurts and you want to move, but you're on the guy's side of the room and none of the other guys are moving, you know, and you're like, I'm not going to be the first guy to move. No. <laughs> like, what happens if you do? Yeah, your ego steps in, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you do, nothing happens if you do, you know, but everyone, just everyone's going to know. Everyone around you is going to know that you move first, right? Nothing, right. There's no consequence. Right. But uh, yeah, so it, it makes you confront pain very directly, physical suffering. And yeah, so on the sixth or seventh day, usually people tend to have an experience where the pain finally disappears. And that happened to me. And on the 10th day, you know, people are finally able to talk. Like the vow of silence is broken. And man. You've never seen people so happy in your life. I'm telling you. On the the 10th day, everyone starts talking and it's like it's like suddenly you're in heaven, like this is heaven on earth, you know? And uh I went outside after the conversations and I was just walking in the snow. Walking in the snow in this little path around the meditation cabin and uh, I was in a retreat center up by San Francisco and yeah, it was like time froze and everything just stopped. I just stood there and it was like for the first time in my life, I was truly present. 
And my mind was, it was just like nowhere to be found. It was so quiet. And out of that quietness, this immense peace emerged. And I've never, I've never really felt peace before that moment. That wasn't a, an experience I've had. That wasn't anything I, that was on the map, but this peace emerged and it was just so beautiful and so profound. And I really thought, you know, whatever this is, whoever the Buddha is, whoever these masters are, whatever it is they discovered, I, I have to find what it is that they found. And yeah, I, I became a diehard seeker uh, right in that moment at the end of that retreat. So that's a more or less short version of you know where and, and how things began for me. And you were just 18 years old. Yeah, and the, and the year after that, wow. I did a I did a three month a three month meditation retreat, and that was when I did my like mindfulness or meditation certification training. So I had to. I'm not even certified anymore, right? I just teach, but but at the time, I thought it was important, you know. So, right. uh, so I went and I did the whole thing, and yeah, I had I endured a nine month or a three month meditation retreat in Thailand, and. Yeah, one thing I'll say to all the viewers that have kids or that are very young, um, that much training, uh, if you're not from that culture, if you didn't grow up in that environment, like I didn't grow up in a monastery, you know, uh, it's intense for a person that's young. So I recommend like, you know, if you're if you're very like gung ho and you think that you're going to go to Thailand and in three months you're going to get enlightened. Yeah, you might need a reality check. It's a little more <laughs> nuanced than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have all these crazy expectations as Westerners, right? Like, we're going right, to go to India right. and we're going to do our yoga certification and do pranayama for eight hours a day. And then, like, on the hundredth day, the universe is going to open up before us. And it's like, yeah, it happens. You know, and the people that it happens to tend to write about it, but you might not be one of those people. So don't be upset if nothing happens. Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) i lived through that you know i know the pain of of doing these long retreats and feeling like you didn't get anything out of it or you know and this intense spiritual work it brings up so much personality material it brings up so much stuff that we've been through you know in our lives it's really when they say spirituality is purification or that meditation is purification of mind you have to consider like, what does it mean to purify something? You know, it's like, it's like taking a sword and sticking it in a fire, right? And like you're, and you're, you're smashing the sword with a hammer to make it stronger. And, you know, to make, to make an actual sword purification, spiritual purification can be like that. Sometimes it doesn't mean that it's like that all the time. I'm not saying that your whole spiritual awakening is a dark night of the soul. That's definitely not the case. You know, there's, there's Mm -hmm. definitely bliss. There's definitely peace. And, happiness and all of this but yeah there's a it can it could definitely not be that sometimes <laughs> you know and we tend to think that like oh if i'm not feeling good or if i'm in a dark place like i'm off the path or like i've done something wrong you you can't get off the path you are the path no. you know you can't not be what you are like <laughs> you're you are trapped by the universe okay there's no way out of this so you're good. Even if you need to take a break, even if you need to change modalities, even if you need to switch teachers, you know, this right. is part of your nature, you know, so. 
it's all good. Right. The saying that is, um, the only way out is through kind of applies to what you just said, right? You're trapped. Oh, yeah. The only way out is through. You, got, you just got to go through it. Yeah. You're supposed to go through it. You know, you'll be less if you don't. Just out of curiosity on my end, um, for your Vipassana retreat, the first few days, what was your mind going through? Cause you were, you were 18 and you, you were new to meditation. Is that correct? At that time? Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was your body? What was your mind going through in those first two, three days? Ah, uh, well, that was the best way to describe it. You know, <laughs> a lot of that. Very simply yeah, put, like, ah, you know, why won't this music angst. in my head? Stop. <laughs> stop these rap songs. I don't want to hear any more songs. <laughs> you know, a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of pain, um, and uh, I, I remember I even went and asked the the you know they have assistant teachers there that you ask questions yeah. to you know every every day or every other day, and usually the questions are like a word or your answers are a word or a couple words. And uh, I said, "Yeah, I just can't get these songs to stop," you know. And he's like, "Yeah, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's it's just gonna it's just gonna run its course. Just do the meditation practice and." you know, don't give any attention to it and it takes care of itself. But if you focus on it, it gets bigger and it takes up more of your attention and just don't worry it takes about it. more energy. When I was probably 26, something radically happened. Um, I was reading a book. I was just coming back from a, this like little retreat in China. Uh, with a teacher I was following at the time and I had decided to leave that teacher I was like I've been following this person for two years they're doing weird stuff now this actually is a cult it's not going to get me awakening it's time to go so I depart you know I like I'm like I'm done with this whole thing so I'm on the plane back and um, I open it's a book called talks by Ramana Maharshi he was a Vedanta sage in uh, India and I was reading through it, reading through it, and there was a line in the book that said, moksha, which means liberation or enlightenment. Moksha is to know that you were never born. I was like, what? I was like, what does that mean? You know, moksha is to know that you were never born. What, like, what is he saying? And I remember I just started sweating when I read those words, this guy's been dead for like decades, right? Uh, sweat starts sweating profusely trembling for a few minutes. And then it just stopped. And then it just stopped, just stopped. And I was like, huh, that's, I don't know what that was about. And I just kept reading. Right. And I fall asleep, wake up, you know, I'm now back in Los Angeles, back in Santa Ana, going to work. And I was driving and suddenly I couldn't tell where my hand ended and where the steering wheel of my car began. Wow. Like this, this sense of me being here separate from all of this out here, it just vanished in that moment. And there was this pure unity consciousness. And for the first time, I never, I didn't feel separate from anything anymore. Like I was driving, it was almost a hysterical mystical state really 
Um, I was just laughing like a, like a madman while I was driving. I was like, <laughs> I can't believe this is happening. What the hell is this? So even while it's happening, you're, the, the, you know, commentating mind aspect of mind was, was still there, even though it was like pretty quiet, it was definitely still there. And, um, this, this massive heart opening happened. It was like dying into the Godhead, you know, the fountainhead of bliss mm -hmm. and presence. And mostly it was characterized by this presence. It was like, Oh, I get why they call this spiritual awakening. Now. I mean, I'm actually mm -hmm. awake. Like the quality right. is being awake, right? And this uh -huh. wakefulness, yeah. this non-dual wakefulness lasted days. It just wasn't going away. My sense of Ryan was gone. There was only this unity consciousness for, for like just unending peace and happiness. Suddenly, you know, up until this point for seven years of practicing meditation, practicing a lot of meditation for seven years, there was always Orion. There was always a goal. There was always something I was trying to get, you know? I was always trying to get to some future destination or to begin to live some kind of conceptual reality about enlightenment that I read from a book or that I heard from another teacher, you know, right? So, and then suddenly, there's no Ryan. There's no Ryan trying to become happy anymore. There's no Ryan seeking bliss anymore. There's no... Ryan waiting for peace anymore. There's just bliss. There's just peace. There's just happiness. And this perceptual separateness that I had for my whole life, 26 years of being separate, it died. And I lived in that state for 10 days. I didn't need, I, like the amount of sleep that I needed was reduced. My left brain processing was inhibited. I'm a, I was a loan officer, so I always I had to draw documents and analyze credit and do all this left brain stuff. And I'm at work and I'm just staring at the computer screen like, what the hell am I looking at? You know, my boss is coming over. He's like, what, the, what, the, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? You're just staring at the computer screen. I, I, so I'm just like, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> everything changes so radically. And so uh, on the 10th day of being in this state of profound presence, I called my friend Ricardo, who's like my co-teacher and one of my best friends. Uh, and I told him, I was like, look, dude, I think this is it. Because I'm, I'm calling you right now, and I feel like I'm holding myself as the phone and that myself, which is you on the other end, is listening. Right. So like this sense of Ryan being the focal point of experience is just like absolutely not there. Um, and yeah, I said, yeah, I think this is the beginning of enlightenment and literally the next morning it all shut down and my separate sense of self reemerged. <laughs> it was like, Ryan just was back in the picture the next morning. Yeah. So that was interesting. And, uh, it went through a series of developments, you know, from that point onward. And it, um, it has definitely become like a natural state. Now there's like a progression that I went through, you know, through unity and now into what I call no self in a natural state of wakefulness and non-duality. But um, for sure that that period after an experience like this, it was like being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You know, it was like mm. it was like becoming heaven and then having to become man again. I mean, how awful right. that was, you know, it was really a dark night. <laughs>
that I went through after that for sure. Yeah. Do you think you dropping back into that heavier density was caused by you just identifying, Hey, this is enlightenment and then something shutting it off so you could re-experience your human experience. Some ego was starting to step in, you know, it was like, it wasn't fully, it wasn't wiped out. And then when the, when the, Mm -hmm. when your sense of being a me aggregates enough, this, um, it's like, I called it, uh, I call it the foreground background split. So imagine you have your personality in the foreground. I actually learned this from Tina Rasmussen. Imagine you have your personality in the foreground. This is usually how people are living and operating. They have this separate dualistic sense of me that exists in right. time. So this is the foreground. And behind that, you have this background of unity consciousness or the mystery or the presence, whatever we want to call it, you know. And so because of meditation or because of some, some condition or something that happens in your life, there is a switch and you get this. So suddenly there's incredible presence. You're having, you're living in a mystical state and that you that you've identified with your whole life is now in the background. So when enough of this, like aggregates enough, when enough of the personality structure is activated or um, aggregates, it essentially can just flip and you can have that, uh, personality structure back in the forefront. So there's this dance that happens between these right. two aspects of yourself until they're basically leveled out. Yeah. Right. Balance. And that is uh, along the path of self mastery, learning how to balance out those aspects of yourself. Yeah, definitely. Back then it, it seemed that that was the case and it was certainly how it was experienced. You know, it was definitely like one weekend you feel at one with everything on a Monday morning, you don't on a Wednesday, you do on a Sunday, you don't, you know, so it was very much like this, really. It sounds insane, but it was really like this and this whole, we get, yeah, you get what I'm saying. This whole, like, a uh, sense of me being in the forefront. This is part of the purification process. This is part, this is, that is the awakening as well. You know, it's like right. you're being presented all of this stuff so that it can be worked through essentially and felt and processed. You know, if you, if you just got whacked with uh, liberation entirely and in one go, it could be very, very destabilizing for you. You know, so the universe is merciful. And it gives you this grace over time. I found that to be the case. I mean, some people are different. You know, maybe they, maybe they're, they're all good. They're all like right in their head, you know, and they can handle this. But uh, I think for me, it it required quite a bit of time. Yeah. What an amazing story. (laughs) Yeah, it's so neat. Well, I mean, neat is an understatement, but there is such, um, I think, every for everyone to recognize you know because we tend to think that like we want to reach that state of enlightenment but that's that seeking right but it's like really natural as spiritual beings who decided to have human experiences to go back and forth between the personality and the whole and yeah yeah for for how things are now because this is it's been you know four years or so four or five years since that initial unity consciousness opening um 
it's quite different now. You know, it was it was unity for a long time. I had that for or that was the characteristic thing or consciousness for about three or four years. And, and then a year ago, there was really a major shift um, in the sense that this uh, background foreground split just vanished. I was reading this modern, it's like some guy in Singapore, he's a modern practitioner, and he wrote a, he wrote a commentary on uh, the Bahia Sutta, which is a sutta, and it's a teaching in Buddhism, like one of the teachings of the Buddha, one of his discourses. And in that teaching, it says, you should train yourself this way. In the scene, there's only the scene. In the herd, there is only the herd. In the cognized, there is only the cognized. Essentially, like what is felt, what is thought, in all, all of these aspects of experience, that's all there is. He's trying to make the proposition that there isn't this like background observer that is experiencing all of those things. Uh, what is being experienced is none other than like what's being experienced is the only thing that we can call an experiencer. And he described it in a way like this. He said he was listening to the sound of a gong, like a, he heard a gong and he had unity consciousness for like 15 years. And this whole time he, he had this like sense of being a cosmic observer, you know? So before there was this sense of just this cosmic consciousness, either observing things or being one with things, being merged with everything. But when he heard this gong, he realized that he couldn't distinguish between the sound of the gong and awareness. The sound was awareness. There was no demarcation line between the two things. Like you can't find some awareness here and then the sound over there, right? These two things arise simultaneously in the moment. They're actually the same thing. So when that happened, I just like this massive happiness arose and this grandfather clock in my mother's house went off. Boom! And oh, the wow. same thing happened. I, I, <laughs> this, the, the gong rang and the gong was mind. The sound was awareness. And suddenly that this observer cosmic background that would like melt into everything and then recede like this melting and receding and merging just stopped. It just ended in a single moment. And I went into the shower and, you know, the shower is on me and it's, and it's hot. And, and I was, comp- and there was just total wakefulness. Like the, the drops of water were awake. The sound of the water was awake. Everything that I touched was awake. Everything that I felt was awake. There was no longer Orion that was awake or the, a background that was awake. All of experience became inseparable and awake, totally non-dual. And I just thought, there's no way this is going to last. <laughs> there's no way. This is too profound. I mean, this is like, what is this? And I reached out to the guy and I said, hey, what the heck happened to me? And he said, uh, see what happens after 90 days. Yeah. Tends to be the case that when this happened, it lasts about 90 days. And um, yeah, I haven't, I definitely am not a master. I'm not some enlightened guy. You know, I'm not an arahant, which means a fully enlightened person. But since that moment with that gong, I have not touched something or felt something or experienced anything 
that was perceived as outside of myself whatsoever. Yeah, like I'm talking to you, I'm looking at you, but I'm actually looking at presence, looking at mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's just the natural way things are. So like when I, when I, it's interesting because I teach spirituality and I teach meditation and I'm always giving people something to work to, you know, I'm always giving them like, yeah, meditation is a skill. It takes time. Like, don't beat yourself up, you know, like you're growing, be happy about that. But like the dilemma that I'm faced with now is that none of that exists for me anymore. I don't, I don't feel that there's a person inside that is growing or a person inside that is developing or a person inside that is anything there's nothing there there's just life right yeah so like when i think about my past and when i think about the future when there's thoughts of knowledge like there's not a me attached to any of those things anymore it's just this luminous awake thought or knowledge or memory or whatever so it's interesting you would think that being in a natural place like this that you would suffer less but i find that because you don't have any like barriers anymore you, I suffer more deeply now, but it's like, I just, it just doesn't stay with me. That's the thing. It doesn't like stick around in my mind for days, but like when something happens, you know, my grandma has been sick recently and there was a moment where she was just really ill. And I, I came to the ER and I saw her and I, I've never seen my grandma like that, you know, just like crawled up and holding my hand. And it just, it just broke my heart to see her that way. And I think if that was five years ago, there would have been some buffer, you know, to not feel that pain so deeply and so intimately but there, there's not anymore so i just feel everything raw all the time <laughs> it just doesn't last you know it's like a like duck off a of water's back it just this comes and right. goes yeah <laughs> is it because you're you've healed so much that so too. You, your, your ability to experience yeah. emotions is heightened i think so too that's a that's a good point i have done a lot a lot of healing. I had to do a lot of um, work, you know, with figuring out what I was feeling or just getting more in touch with that part of myself for sure. Yeah. Especially earlier on. Definitely. Cause I was totally blocked off from all of that. I mean, for me, it just, it took a long time to even touch grief deeply. Right. I mean, when my dad passed away, I, I didn't cry for like three months after it happened. You know, so yeah, this is the thing too about, you know, if anyone, if anyone's listening and they have this like delayed onset emotional reactivity, um, it actually prolongs healing, you know, the more, the more intensely you can feel it and the more that you can process it, the faster you can work through grief. Cause for me, I had these like blips of grief, you know, over like a long period of years, as opposed to really just doing a lot of therapy or working with a coach or making that the aim of my life to just spend six months where I'm like really processing it. I didn't do that, you know, so it took a lot longer. Hey everyone, I hope you're loving this episode so far. Our mission at Awaken Now What is to illuminate your spiritual awakening and ascension. If you're feeling overwhelmed, confused, or frustrated with your awakening, then make sure to check out our Awaken Mastery journey. Me and Helen have created a 16-week masterclass to guide you through your awakening so that you can uncover your gifts as a healer and teacher. For more information, click the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I get the sense of 
you know, because you're living in a way that life lives through you, you're like, you're, you're like, it's the left brain stuff, right? You, you won't know because it's really just literally flowing through you. And so it's like, you're just, it, it, being, it doesn't even seem like the right word. You know, sometimes we, our words can't even capture what we're trying to convey. So we're just like transmitting it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully the root listeners can pick up whatever we're putting down. Rambled on for 20 minutes just now. And it was like completely incomprehensible. That's definitely possible. So, no, you know, I mean, for some people, uh, they, they'll definitely, I mean, it'll be over their head, but for every, I think it emanates from your, from your aura. I think you specifically, Ryan, I could just feel it. Everything that you said, I'm like, yes, I resonate. I resonate. I resonate. That's awesome. Thank you, man. Um, I'm curious to know about some of your uh, meditation teachings. What type of teachings or what type of methods, techniques, styles have you incorporated in your teachings? And how do you approach um, a new student? Yeah, I've done too many. Yeah, I would say that's the case. Right. I've like, I've like done too much <laughs> different stuff, you know? This is the thing with mm-hmm. like, because this is the, so many practitioners face this. I'm sure both of you can can relate. Like with the healing modalities and meditation, there's just so much so to many. choose from. So it's much to choose from. Amount. Do I do it's theta healing? Do I try Psyche, <laughs> NLP, Reiki, Reiki Tumo, yeah. you know? Right light language it's just endless this buffet is right. just endless so yeah like the issue with having too many options is that we can find ourselves it's kind of like digging for water imagine water is 20 feet under the ground and you do one modality and you dig five feet and you get some experience and you're like ah it's not for me and then you go to another modality and you do another five feet ah it's not for me yep. and you do another one another one another one I get it. We're exploring, we're learning. But the 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 only issue is that after like a while we only have 5 foot holes and we haven't hit water. <laughs> you know, there's the same thing with meditation practices like find the one that resonates most with you and pick that one practice and really don't leave that practice while you still feed your curiosity and try explore. other things and explore other stuff, but you still have that one practice that you do whether it's like staring at a wall and doing nothing whether it's observing your breath whether it's a specific kind of energy work whatever it is that you really feel in your heart is like this is the thing for you really stick with that while still exploring other things because the issue is like if you're mm-hmm. if your meditation career is like 10 or 20 years long or the rest of your life but there was never there was never really one thing that you went super deep in then yeah, I mean, you might walk away feeling like, oh, I never really hit water, you know, it's and it's the same thing. I've met people who meditated for a long time, but they weren't consistent with their practice either. So they're just like generally spiritual and they have a they have a spiritual orientation in life on life. But there wasn't like one thing that they did every day. And that one thing that you do every day makes makes all the difference. And when I've looked at the lives of my teachers and people that I've learned from and um, even masters that live now and live before the defining quality for all of them is that they were practitioners, you know, like they really sat generally for a long time. I mean, some people get lucky, like Eckhart Tolle, he was very depressed and he had his awakening, wrote, wrote some books, became mega famous, you know, homeless, right? Totally influential, yeah. ap- profoundly awakened person. But 
Right. For the most part, most people that I meet or that I've learned from, generally they meditated a lot. Yeah. Over a course of like a really long time. Um, what methods have been your favorite out of all the methods that you've tried and modalities that you've tried? What methods of meditation have gotten you into a deep meditative state? Um, that's a good question, actually. Because there's two answers to that. There's like techniques and then there's just being present and being conscious itself, which I mm -hmm. think is the ultimate and really the heart of all of it. So that doesn't require a technique, um, but techniques can help facilitate that being aware, being awake naturally, you know, being relaxed um, and present. That sounds really simple. And it sounds like that doesn't seem complicated at all. Like if that was really simple, then why do the Tibetan Buddhists like do all these, you know, complex visualizations and they do all this crazy concentration, like different yoga stuff. Well, those techniques prepare the body and they prepare the mind for really dropping and just letting go of all of it and letting all the constructs that the mind has created collapse into natural clarity, into presence, you know, just the natural state of awareness. Um, so that's part of their system and their initiation. And they have like deities and lineages attached to it and energies that come through for people. So it's like its whole thing itself, but the fundamental aspect of all of this is awareness, mindfulness, presence, whatever it is we, we want to call it, but just this awake, awake. So the methods that I do, I do one technique called Dhammakaya meditation and I teach this. It's a visualization based practice. You take a meditation object and you place it in your body and you just relax and um, continue to notice it moment after moment. So that's one. Mm -hmm. And then the other uh, main thing I teach is just being conscious and being aware and then eventually investigating what that awareness actually is or what it isn't. You, know, you begin to look at the nature of mind itself. But um, that's it, really. I don't teach much. Uh, what types of transformation have you seen in your students from like day one to like day 30, <clears throat> 40, 50, 60? Well, one of them, um, one of my good friends, we were just talking on the phone one day and he's like, you know, what is this whole like presence thing that you're talking about? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> you know? And I just said, uh, are you aware right now? Like when I say, are you aware right now? You're aware, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm aware. And I was like, were you aware when you woke up this morning? And then he, and it just clicked in his mind that like, yeah, consciousness was there, but it, it's not, it wasn't recognizing itself that morning. But in the moment when I said, are you aware now? Now we're aware, right? Now we're awake. Yeah, this is it. So this became more and more prevalent in his life. And now it's really <clears throat> what his practice moves around. So, yeah, he's one of my best. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just to see his practice now in the sense that, like, he can just rest in being is so profound and so fulfilling to me personally, you know, because yeah, 
you'd be surprised. A lot of people may not be as gifted as you two or as some of the people that listen to this show and they struggle a lot with meditation and they don't understand this concept of being and presence and they're right. always in their mind and they're always in thought and it's tough for them. Yeah. You know. uh, at, my, at the start of my meditation journey, I couldn't meditate with my eyes closed. I was afraid. I was deeply afraid. It took me about a year, maybe not, not about a year, six months to a year where I could do it with my eyes closed. And it was that much practice. I mean, it, it really just represented the amount of internal um, healing that I needed to do on myself. That, that fear was showing up for a reason. That fear was the fear of the unknown. Um, and when I got, when I actually kind of loved myself more, that's when I could fully step into presence, fully step into awareness um, in, in the awake state and just, mm-hmm. you know, do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> you went beyond the fear. One of my techniques when, when I couldn't do it with my eyes closed was I'd watch the wind bristle against the leaves or I would, I would hear, I remember I was in a parking lot and I was sitting on a curb and I wanted to meditate and I'll just pay attention to each of the cars just passing by, just their tires rolling by each one, not attaching myself to anyone, just, just hearing them pass by. That was, well, that was one of my techniques early on. And actually it worked. It, it worked oh, yeah. and I fell into a deep kind of alpha state, theta state. And, uh, but you know, of course with, with practice, everyone gets better. We've reached the now what section of the episode. Ryan, if you had some last words for the listeners or something that they could take away into their own meditation practices, what would that be? Once a week or as often as you can really be alone. I mean, like no phone, no connection, put your phone on airplane mode or leave it at home and turn it off and just go somewhere without a destination or without a plan. Like just, you never do that. You know, like every time we always have a reason for doing something, right? We always meditate to do something like everything that we do is transactional. Even if the transactions are of course for positive and beneficial things, everything, a lot of what we do is transactional, but this state of clarity is not part of a transaction. It's just the natural state of being. And so by doing things in a completely open way, by not having a destination or not having a fixed plan or not having a reason or purpose, you know, just going on a walk and not knowing what's going to happen or where you're going to end up or who you're going to meet or what you're going to do. You'd be surprised how powerful that could be. Yeah. Meditating in a non-transactional way, just doing it to do it, like to just be and to just rest without a goal and without an aim, without an outcome. And I'm pretty sure that you'll have some interesting things begin to happen when you do that. Powerful words from the Mr. Ryan Burton. Uh, And where can the listeners find you? www.afterawakening.com, actually. So that's my website. You can check that out. Uh, The podcast episodes are on there. And that's where you can find me. And Instagram, um, ryan.jburton. 
If you liked this episode, please subscribe. And to end the episode as a gift, Ryan is going to guide us in a 10-minute meditation. All right, take it away, Ryan. All right, so sit upright if you can. Close your eyes and Give yourself permission to relax and let go. Relax the jaw. Relax the tiny muscles in the forehead. Relax all the muscles in the tongue. Feel this present moment. Release, relax all the muscles in the stomach, the abdomen. Notice the body breathing. Just let everything be. If you're having lots of thoughts or no thoughts, whatever it is, just let it all be. Your breathing be as it is. Let your feelings be as they are. Leave everything in its natural state. aware awake relax just drop all doing and simply be
just continue to rest in this peace, awareness, and silence. If you'd like, in your mind, you can say the universe is breathing. As you notice the rising and falling of the abdomen, universe is breathing and then just release it. Release any intention and just rest.
medication. You see or feel light radiating in every direction, above you, below you, before you, behind you, left and right. See the whole city you live in, bathed in light, the whole country, the whole world. See this light radiating throughout the entirety of the universe, reaching all worlds, all beings, all places, and all time. May all beings be happy, may all beings be healthy, may all beings be safe, may all beings be free, may all beings awaken. Satu, satu, satu.